Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. I'll be reading Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. This is the final scene uh, in the narrative that we have been uh, focusing on and working our way through for the last several weeks. Last week we had a, a minor detour into the book of Ephesians that was, of course, related to the outpouring of the Spirit that we see uh, at the end of chapter 10. But now we come to the, uh, the conclusion proper of this narrative, the, the narrative of Cornelius's conversion. A narrative that teaches us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the Gentiles. And that it is for the Gentiles as Gentiles. That is, it is, it is for the Gentiles without requiring them to come under the Jewish ceremonial law. It, it is for them as they are in their own cultures, in their own nations. That's the point that, that God has been making. It's the reason that he has orchestrated this whole scene. And, and what we see in the text before us is, is really Peter recounting everything that we have seen up to this point. He, he goes back to Jerusalem. He's questioned by the Jewish Christians there. And he, and he tells them, well, let me, let me tell you how we ended up here. And he then proceeds to recount the narrative. And whenever you see that in a biblical narrative, whenever you, you see a recounting of everything that you've already seen, it can seem repetitious to modern uh, readers, but it really drives home the point of how important this is. This is a point that God needs his church to get. The gospel is for the Gentiles, and it's for the Gentiles as Gentiles. And so when Peter is questioned, he, he tells them about his vision. He, he tells them about the voice that commanded him to rise and eat. He, he tells them that that same voice told him to go with these men coming uh, and seeking him from Caesarea. He tells them how he, when he got there, uh, Cornelius told him about his own vision. Uh, and then, of course, he tells them how he preached the gospel to them. And as he was preaching, the Spirit was poured out on these Gentiles just as it had been on the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And so it's after this recounting that we're told the response of the Christians in Jerusalem. It's that response that is going to be our focus this morning. But before we hear the, the reading and the, the preaching of God's word, let us pray and ask for God's blessing uh, upon us here this morning through his word. Father God, we come before you now. We come asking that that you would remember your promise not to allow your word to return void. But Father, that your word as it is read, as it is preached, that your spirit would attend it, that he would go with it, that he would use it to, to open our minds and to sanctify our hearts, that we, we might be conformed more and more to the image of the glory of your Son. And that we might go forth from here renewed and transformed, able to do those good works that you have prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the reading of God's word, Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. 
Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as it had on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the reading of God's word. Children, you can come forward to meet uh, Isaac at the front for the children's sermon. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all? <clears throat> Take a look at this tree right here. Isn't that a wild looking tree? I don't know if you can see. It's got, it's got some white blooms, some pink blooms, it's got some big blooms and some little blooms. It's a fruit tree. What sort of fruit? Do you think that maybe that grows peaches? Maybe anybody think it maybe grows maybe it grows cherries. Hmm? Maybe apricots. No. Maybe plums. No. You don't think any of those? Actually, it grows all those things. This is called the uh, the tree of forty fruits. And uh, here's some here's a picture of some of the fruit that grows on it. Isn't that something? Looks like something out of Dr. Seuss. Such a wild thing. This was created by a, an artist who he decided to make a tree that was a work of art. And he did it by grafting. He'd take a little bit of one tree and make a slit in another. And he'd put it together and they'd, he'd see if they'd grow. And he did that to a bunch of trees. And then he kept putting those trees together until he had these trees that grew 40 different types of fruit. Hmm? It, it's, there's, you can go see them. They're at different places uh, where he planted them. And um, so grafting, you take different things and you put them together, but they all get life from the same roots and the same trunk. Now, if you go back far enough uh, to our great, 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 great grandparents, go back a long time, they're probably all over the world, different places. You know, who knows? England, Norway, Spain, Ethiopia, China. India, uh, China, maybe the Ukraine. Ukraine, who knows, all sorts of different places all over the world. And yet, we all sing this song, 
Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I don't know about you, but when I listen to these stories about what happened in the Bible, uh, I read them as if it's my ancestors, like it's the history of my people. Even though the people that you know, would have been my great-great-great-great-grandparents, they, they probably lived far away from Israel and, and didn't know the true God. And yet, rightly, we all sing Father Abraham, how Abraham's our father. Okay, And uh, Paul says that we have been grafted into Jesus. We've all, we're like a bunch of fruit from different trees that God has put together into one tree. And since, since Father Abraham was Jesus' great-great-great-great-grandfather, then if we believe in Jesus, he's our great-great-great-great-grandfather too. And since the Old Testament is the history of Jesus' people, if we believe in Jesus, then that's our people too. Uh, the first Christians were surprised that Peter was eating with people who um, were like us, people who weren't Jews. Because they thought that only a Jew could be part of God's people and could, could be connected to Jesus and get life from Jesus and grow on his tree. But that was, that was God's surprise for them. He showed them that, that people from all over the world were meant to come in to one tree and to grow together. Um, Peter showed the other Christians that anybody, whether they were a banana or an orange or a peach, could grow on this tree and get life from Jesus. Now the big difference between this tree and the church is that the trees we were growing on, the cultures, they, they, weren't, they weren't, did not have life. They didn't know the true God. They didn't have true religion. And what Jesus still does for us today is he takes us away from things that don't have life and he puts us with him where we can have true life and follow him. Yes, Asher? It's a whole bunch of grapes, isn't it? Anyway, so since we're all, we can all have life in Jesus, that's why we call this good news. Y'all believe that? All right, thank you. All right, if you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. As I said, this is the, the final scene in a narrative that we have been uh, looking at for the, the past several weeks. And most of the narrative is a recounting of what we have seen to, to emphasize its importance. But, but what I want us to focus on this morning is not the recounting of all the, the, the various details of the story that we have already seen, but rather I want us to focus on the response of the Jerusalem Christians to Peter's story. How do they respond when, when Peter tells them all that God has done to bring them to this point? Because it is really their response that, that sums up the main point of this entire narrative. And we see their response there in verse 18. Luke writes, when they heard these things, they fell silent. Now, that doesn't mean they were completely silent, because the very next sentence tells us that they were glorifying God. But, but they, they stopped objecting. 
Their, their silences were, their, their objections were silenced, and they glorified God. And what did they say? They said, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance unto life. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's the, that's the phrase that I want us to focus on this morning. And, and really there are four things <coughs> that I want us to see in this uh, response. First, I want us just to notice the phrase, the Gentiles also. As, as Isaac was emphasizing with the kids, really that's, that is kind of the main point of this entire story. This, this narrative is about the inclusion of the Gentiles. It is, it is about the, the reality that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not for the Jews only, but it is for the Jews and the Gentiles also. And it is for the Gentiles as Gentiles. It is for the, the Gentiles who, who do not come under uh, the Jewish ceremonial law. That's the, the main point of this story. But it often leaves modern readers perplexed. Why would Luke give uh, nearly two chapters to driving home this point? Why would God go to such lengths to, to orchestrate this scene where, where he sends a vision to, to Cornelius, he sends a vision to, to Peter, he brings them together, then he, then he pours out the the spirit upon them. Why would God go to such lengths to, to orchestrate this? Why is the inclusion of the Gentiles so important? And not only here. It don't, not only gets prominence here in, in the book of Acts, but it really takes prominence throughout so much of the New Testament. <coughs> throughout so much of the New Testament, we see uh, the biblical authors pushing back against those who we are briefly introduced here, those known as the circumcision party. Those who were insisting that if you wanted to be saved in Jesus Christ, you had to be circumcised, which was a seal of your commitment to come under the entire Jewish law. So why is so much of the New Testament devoted to this idea uh, that, the, that the Gentiles are included as Gentiles? Why, why is that? It's not immediately obvious to modern readers because we don't know anyone who's, who's insisting that you have to be circumcised. We don't know anyone who is insisting that you have to come under the Jewish law. It's, it's not a, a present reality in our experience, and so we can miss the point of what is going on here. But we need to understand that the inclusion of the Gentiles as Gentiles is actually at the very heart of of the gospel. If the Gentiles are not included, the gospel is not the gospel that we have believed. It's, it's that simple. The, the inclusion of the, of the Gentiles is that important. Why? Because the inclusion of the Gentiles confirms to us that salvation is in Christ alone. This morning we sang, all I have is Christ. Every blessing is mine in him. Think of Paul's language in, in the, the first uh, verses of his letter to the Ephesians. In Christ we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every blessing that is ours is ours in Christ and in Christ alone. As he says, we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That is the, the heartbeat of the gospel. But if there is another requirement, if, if that gospel is only for people who, who keep the Jewish ceremonial law, then the whole idea of salvation in Christ alone is undermined. 
If there's something that we must do to qualify ourselves, if there's something that, that we must do, if, there, if there's a, a requirement that we must fulfill, then no longer is our salvation in Christ and in His righteousness alone. And so it's vital for us to see that the inclusion of the Gentiles is, is not some peripheral issue. It is actually at the very heart of the gospel. This morning, you are here in the presence of God. You are received into his presence as a, as a beloved child because of Christ and because of Christ alone. Nothing else has qualified you for an inheritance in his kingdom. Nothing else has, has brought you into the presence of God. It is, it is Christ's life, it is Christ's death, it is Christ's resurrection, it is Christ's present reign, it is, it is Christ's promised return, it is, it is Christ's finished work that is the, the ground and the foundation of our living hope. It is through Him that we have this inheritance. It is through Him that we have every spiritual blessing. And that is why we cannot exclude anyone who believes in Him. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon his name, you will never be put to shame. That is the very heart of the gospel. And it's what, it's what eliminates the, the false distinctions that, that in our sinfulness we are sometimes prone to, to bring into the church. In Christ there is one church because there is one Lord, because there is one spirit, because there is one salvation and that one salvation is made available to all by grace alone. It is received by faith alone. And that faith is in Christ alone. That's why this gospel is, that's why this, this narrative is so important. It's why it takes such, such prominence in, in the book of Acts. It's why God goes to such lengths to, to orchestrate the, uh, this, this scene where, where Peter, the, the Jewish apostle, the apostle to the circumcised, as we learn elsewhere in the New Testament, while he takes the gospel to Cornelius and proclaims to him that God shows no partiality. That is the very heart of the gospel. And it's the first thing, it's really the, the main thing that we see in this text. That salvation is in Christ alone. And because it is in Christ alone, it is for the Gentiles also. But I want you to notice also how these Jerusalem Christians describe that salvation. What is this salvation that we have received in Christ? And we, we see that encapsulated in this word life. God has granted to them repentance unto life. Life is a way of summarizing the substance of the salvation that is ours in Christ. What have we been saved to? We have been saved to life. And the emphasis here is obviously that we have been saved to, to true life. We have been saved to, to life as it is supposed to be. We have been saved to, to life as it would have been apart from sin. We know that, that sin and death entered the world because of Adam's rebellion. And, and since that day, the, all, of his, uh, all of his children have, have, been, have been trapped under the, the curse and the, the weight of sin. We have, we have had to, to live with the, the misery of his rebellion. But there was a time in the garden where, where God had, had, had created all things good, where Adam had life. 
And we have now been restored to that life, only we've actually been restored to something better. We've not just been brought back to the garden where we have the, the, the possibility of, of going one way or the other, where we have the possibility of, of obeying God or not, but most theologians believe that, that, and that, that, was, that there was a time of testing there for Adam, and if he would have endured in righteousness, then eventually he would have been confirmed in that righteousness. And it is that confirmed righteousness that we are being restored to. There is coming a day when we will no longer be able to sin. There, there is coming a day when, when we will be not only in paradise, but we ourselves will be made perfect. We ourselves will be confirmed in holiness. We no, no longer will, will the, 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 uh, the passions of our flesh wage war against our soul. No longer will we have to, to deal with those sinful desires. No longer will we have to deal with the, the temptations of the world and of the devil coming against us. But we will be confirmed in righteousness to glorify and enjoy God for all eternity. That is life. That is the life for which we were created. It's the life to which we are being redeemed. And obviously that is an eternal life. It is, it is a life without end, but, but it is so much more than that. I hope you see that. It's not just life going on forever, but it is life restored to the goodness that God always intended his image bearers to enjoy. It is a, a life without sin. Without the, the brokenness of our, of our passions, without the brokenness of, of our desires, our, our disordered loves, and a life in which we will be free from all the misery uh, that our disordered loves bring upon ourselves and upon others. You don't have to live in this age very long to, to recognize that sin brings pain. Sin brings trouble. Sin, sin makes everyone miserable. It's the nature of rebellion against God and our, and our foolishness. We, 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 cling the, we cling to the, the promise of life apart from God. But we, what we discover is that the grasping after life apart from God leads us only into the pit. It leads us only into destruction. It leads us only into death. That's where all rebellion leads. But God is setting us free from that. He's setting us free from sin. He's setting us free from the misery. He is setting us free to, to glorify and enjoy Him forever. It's what you were created for. And it is what you are being redeemed to. And we, we need to understand this. We need to understand that salvation is not just about escaping the consequences of our sins. It's not just about uh, escaping the, the negative. It is about being brought into the kingdom of the beloved. It is, it is about being conformed to the, to the image of our Savior. It is about being restored to life as it is supposed to be. You see, in our foolishness, we, we think life is over here, we think his life is over there, and, and we, we chase after all these things. But they never lead us where we want to go. And Jesus says simply, if you will stop chasing, if you will lose your life and just follow me, if you will give up the, the right to do what's right in your own eyes, if you, to, to, lead your, to lead your own way, to go in your own direction, if you will give all that up and if you will just bow to me, you will find life and you will find it abundantly. Because life is found only in service to me. Life is found only in bowing to my word. And this is the life to which we will be saved. This is, this, is the, this is the life of the age to come that we will one day enjoy in full. But, but understand, that life is not entirely future. 
Here and now, already, we have passed from death to life. Here and now, already, we have been made alive together with Christ. Here and now, we have been raised to live to God. That is the the wonder of this gospel. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive together with Christ. We have already entered into this life. We obviously do not yet enjoy it in full. We are not yet free from sin, but we continue to struggle. We, We are not yet set free from misery, but we must continue to endure. But at the same time, we have already entered into life. We we have already begun to to taste the the wonder and the the sweetness of life in the presence of our King, of life and right relationship to Him. Even now, we are already, because of our new life in Christ, able to glorify and enjoy God. So we're saved to now. And one day, That that little taste of of holiness, that little taste of righteousness that we already have, that will one day be made full. That is the wonder of this salvation. That's that's what we have to understand. We we have to understand that, that God is saving us to life. And that life is for any and for all who will call upon the name of Christ. It's, it's why the, uh, the, the Christians in Jerusalem mention repentance. That's the third thing that I, I want you to notice. What is it that, that leads to this life? It is repentance. Repentance leads to life. So, so what is repentance? If it's, if it's repentance that, that leads us to life, what is this repentance? And quite literally, repentance is a, a change of mind. There's a change in our mind. Think of our minds being transformed, but, but our minds being transformed in a particular way. First, it is a, a change of mind related to both who God is and the true nature of sin. You see, in our, in our sinful state, we are blind to the truth. In our sinful state, we see God as the enemy and sin as our ultimate good. We, we see God as the, as the obstacle to our happiness. We see God as the one who, who stands in our way, who, who gives us these laws that we, that we have to submit to or he's going to get us. We, we see God as our enemy. And we see sin as if it were our ultimate good. If only I were free to do that. If only I were free to indulge that. That that is the the way that our minds think when they are darkened by sin. But now, God has granted repentance. And in repentance, our our minds have been transformed. Our thinking has been reversed. We now see sin for what it is. We we see the true nature of our sin. And we are able to grieve over it. We are able to to hate it. We are able to detest it. We are able to, to see it for the poison that it is. And we are able to see God as our Heavenly Father. And we are just able to see relationship with Him as our greatest good. See, that's the nature of repentance. Repentance begins with this this change of mind, this change of of thinking. Our our eyes are open to the truth. Previously, our minds were darkened, and we saw God as our enemy and and sin as a blessing, but now we see sin as as the, the thorns and the thistles that we must endure under the curse, and we see God as our glorious heavenly Father who's working all things together for the good of those who love him. And such a change of mind cannot but produce a change of life. 
When we begin to to see God for who he is, when we begin to apprehend the, the wonder of his mercy in Christ, and we begin to see our sins as they really are, when we, when we begin to, to hate them and we begin to, to grieve over them, we are then enabled by, by God's immeasurable power to turn from those sins that we were pursuing, to turn from those, those sins that we were chasing after. We're able to turn from those sins back to God with the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience, the the full purpose of walking in obedience to him. That's the the nature of repentance. Repentance is a a change of mind that manifests itself in a change of life. Now obviously in this life, our our repentance is, is never perfect We are are never able to to completely free ourselves from sin. It's why Jesus taught his disciples to to daily pray for the forgiveness of their sins. It's why we have an advocate with the Father so that when we sin, uh, we can be forgiven and, and, and cleansed. But understand this, that the one whose mind has been renewed, his life will be transformed. He will not be made perfect here and now. That is for the age to come but he will be substantially changed. He will be able to walk in a new way. He will be able to to live a new life. He will be able to serve as he was not able to serve before. He'll be able to to set aside his own selfish interest and and, and put the interest of others ahead of his own. He'll be able to love his, his neighbor as himself. He'll be able to delight in God and give him thanks, not only when the blessings are flowing, but even when he finds himself in the wilderness. This is the life of repentance. It's the the life that is the fruit of renewed thinking, of a a renewed mind. A mind that that now begins to to comprehend God as he is and sees sin in all of its dreadful reality. It is this repentance that leads to life. Because really, what is this repentance? This, This repentance is faith. This repentance is, is, is the other side of faith. Uh, John Murray says that the, the faith that receives all the blessings of Christ is a repentant faith. It is a faith that, that sees the truth about who God is, sees the truth about who sin is, and then expresses that faith in new obedience, the endeavor after new obedience. Such faith doesn't earn us anything. It doesn't require God to to do anything. It doesn't obligate him to us in any way. But it is by this repentance that we receive the gift of God. It is by this repentance that we receive salvation. It's by this repentance, this, this turning from sin back to God in faith. It's by this repentance that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, even this repentance is part of the gift. That's the, the final point that I want us to see this morning. The final point that I, I want us to see is that even this repentance is God's gift. Notice how the, the Jerusalem Christians say it. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance unto life. Why did those who were gathered in Cornelius's house believe Why was the word effectual for their salvation? Why? Because God granted to them repentance. God opened their their ears to hear. He opened their eyes to see. He opened their hearts to believe. God made those who were dead in their sins alive. 
that they might receive and rest upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, you have to understand that a sinner cannot repent in and of himself. A sinner cannot renew his own mind. Think of that valley of of dry bones to which Ezekiel was told to, to prophesy. The Lord asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? You'll remember his wise reply, Lord, you know. You know. These bones cannot respond to my preaching in and of themselves, but Father, you, you're the maker of heaven and earth. You're the one who, who called all things into existence. If you say, let there be life, there will be life. And so Ezekiel preaches to the valley and the bones become alive and God breathes into them. It's the same thing we we see when when Jesus comes to the tomb of of Lazarus. Lazarus is, is a picture of a man dead in his sins. He cannot make himself alive, but Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus can say, Lazarus, come forth. And that word is effectual. That word goes with power. That word makes him who is dead alive so that he can respond to the word of his Savior. You see, the reality is that that sinners, dead in their sins, cannot make themselves alive. They they have no eyes to to see the goodness and the the beauty of, of God. They can only see God as the enemy. They can only see God as a threat. They must be transformed by grace. They they must be made alive by His immeasurable power. They they must be given those ears to hear that Jesus talked about. They must be be given those eyes to see that, that Jesus talked about. Sinners don't have those ears. Sinners don't have those eyes. But God is the the Creator. And He can give them to whom He will. And He granted to these Gentiles gathered in Cornelius' house. He granted to them eyes to see and ears to hear so that the gospel went forth with power. So that they believed and in believing they received the Holy Spirit. This is the reason why merely making salvation available to sinners would have been pointless. If God would have merely made salvation available and said come and, and get it if you will. No one would have been saved because no one would have accepted God's offer. Sinners are are not looking for God. No one seeks God. There's a a scene in the the movie Cinderella Man where the the, the, the dock foreman comes out and he's got coins in his hand and those coins represent work for the day. And there are ten times more men gathered there than there are coins in the foreman's hand. And he takes the coins and he throws them out on the dock and the men go scrambling, trying to get one of those coins. And sometimes that's the way that that people think about the grace of God. They they think that sinners are scampering for God's salvation, but it's it's limited. (laughs) But that's not the way it works. Rather, what does Jesus say? He says, go into the hedges and the highways and compel people to come in. Because they're not coming. There's no one at the dock looking for work. There's no one who wants the coins, but God goes and he pursues sinners and he brings them in. It's why these Christians, are, these Christians in Jerusalem, it's why their response when they hear that God has granted to the, 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 the Gentiles, it's why they glorify God. It's why you, you constantly see Paul throughout his letters thanking God for the faith 
of the various churches to which he is, he is writing. You see, in our modern, somewhat proud selves, we have all kinds of questions about God granting repentance. We have all kinds of, of questions about, well, well if God can, can grant repentance, why, why doesn't he just give it to everybody? If God can save sinners, why doesn't he, he just save everybody? And those are, those are fair questions, I think. I, I feel the weight of those questions. But God doesn't choose to answer them. God hasn't told us his why. And so the question that faces us this morning is, will we allow God to be God? Will we trust him? And will we glorify him? Because he has granted to sinners like us repentance unto life. Will we marvel at his mercy? Will we, will we marvel at the reality that we were dead in our sins and he made us alive? That he called and we came forth from our tombs. Will we marvel at the mercy of God? Because that's what we see here. God saves sinners. God grants repentance unto life. God makes those who are dead alive. And when we see it, when we see the, the wonder of His grace, we, like the Jerusalem Christians, we ought to glorify God. You see, our God doesn't just make salvation available to the Gentiles. He doesn't just make salvation available to sinners. He saves them. He saves sinners. He makes them alive. He, he draws them to his self. It's why the, the, the Gentiles gathered in Cornelius' house responded in faith when they heard the good news preached. It's why you responded in faith when you heard the good news preached. I, I don't know your story. I don't know if it was in an instant or if it was over a lifetime. But God has brought you to the place where you have eyes to see his beauty. You have ears to hear the good news of his son. And he has given you faith to rest in him. And because he has done this, we now have life. We have life in the Son. We are the recipients of his everlasting gift. And because we have received that gift, we ought to glorify God and we ought to rejoice because it is that gift, the gift of life through a repentance that is also his gift. It is because God saves sinners that we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Father, we, we confess to you that uh, in our foolishness, we, we sometimes get caught up on the wrong things in a story like this, Father. We can get distracted by, by your secret will and, and by your inscrutable ways. But Father, may we not dive into the things that you have not chosen to reveal, but may we instead simply marvel at the wonder of the grace that you have shown to sinners. Father, these men and, and women gathered in Cornelius' house, they were saved because you granted to them repentance unto life. And we here this morning, Father, we are saved because you have granted to us that same repentance. Father, may we glorify you and marvel at your amazing grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.